hand to my feet now because uh, uh. Queen, uh, do I need to stand up now? And there you go. Well, we are here at another episode of Chatting with the Clays, and uh, we're here on Super Bowl Sunday. Super and Bowl Sunday. I, I can see you all are all prepared for the game and, you know, have yeah. your your five, seven course Super Bowl spread going there. That looks excellent. Oh, I see you in it. Uh, Ida White catered today. Oh, wow. And she catered us chicken and noodles and uh, the California medley. And um, I think we have chocolate cupcakes, lemon cupcakes, mm -hmm. lemon cookies on a stick with frosting, uh, chocolate dipped pretzels. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We're, we're going to cut to a commercial break. <laughs> and your mother's and your mother's favorite dip. Or favorite cheese or uh, favorite cheese dip. Before you cut to a commercial, just know that we have uh, kale and smoked turkey neck bones with um, yeah cornbread. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's all good. So it's Super Bowl Sunday. We just want to enjoy, and we just thank God for the saints and the membership here that remembered us and wanted yes. to, you know, help. Because Super Bowl Sunday, we always do something after church, and right. we have a nice spread, and we play games and everything. So just still trying to fill in what's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've made a, a virtual connection, and you've brought us <laughs> into the experience. And this may be the shortest chatting with the Clays episode ever, because <laughs> that stuff looks good. It looks uh, very good. And, and and we're just doing an opening poll here. Apparently, we got dad rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs today. And mom, I think I got a peek there. Oh, oh yeah. the Buccaneers. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I might look like I'm delusional, you know, in, in the some- Broncos <laughs> aren't in it. <laughs> the Broncos aren't in it. I know, I know, however- Baby. I am in solidarity with the <laughs> AFC, the American Football Conference. So the Kansas City Chiefs would be my pick. Patrick Mahomes is fantastic. Love watching the Cheetah. Uh, fantastic uh, team there. Some talent. Um, you know, returning Super Bowl champs. And yeah. you know, Tom yeah. Brady certainly is a formidable opponent with some of the fantastic pieces that they have down there in Tampa Bay. But uh, I am in solidarity with the American Football Conference, the AFC champions and returning Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs, in a lot of ways we're rivals, you know. Uh, uh, we're, we're not in the midst of quite our highest level of productivity right now as the Broncos. That's the way I'll, I'll couch it. Uh, but, uh, you know, if we're not in the Super Bowl, I'll, I'll tend to continue to lean toward the AFC team. So there, I cast my vote for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not delusional, not delusional. Okay. So anyway, with all that being said, um, we were technically uh, delayed as we were getting some things uh, together uh, to, to be able to uh, air this episode uh, without event. Uh, but um, I would uh, dive right into the topic for today of chatting with the Clays. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, today, the theme for our conversation is going to be role players. 
role players. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, you know, in connection clearly with the Super Bowl, um, we have, (laughs) I'm looking at the comments popping up on Facebook. (laughs) Uh Somebody asked what you're doing with that Kansas City Chief hoodie on, the Pastor Marlon Baylor. Uh, (laughs) He he threw it up right there. What are you doing with that Kansas City Chief hoodie on, you know? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in solidarity with the AFC today too. So we'll, we'll go down together, dad. Uh, but mom, you probably have the, 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 the smart bet there. But um, yeah, as we're talking about role players today, football is a really interesting sport. And um, there's some connections and parallels um, that I think, you know, have probably been made in sermons all across the world today. Uh, but one thing I, I particularly appreciate, appreciate about football is there's a great deal of coordination. Uh, you got 11 mm-hmm. men on the field, you know, for offense, 11 men on the field for defense. Everyone uh, has uh, particular roles. Sometimes, you know, the strategic advantage can be kind of blurring the lines of whose roles are who, but you also have a rule system set in place um, that is pretty definitive as it relates to the role that certain people can play. Certain people can throw the ball. Certain people have the opportunity to be eligible in catching the ball. There's certain things that the defense can do. You know, it is illegal, you know, to have more than 11 men on the field at a given time. Uh, but it's really interesting. And, and even on the most basic level, even if you're not a, a sports fan, Pastor uh, <laughs> Marlon Baylor is killing me. He said, what time do these Cowboys play today? I can't keep reading the comments. We'll never get through it. <laughs> we'll we'll never right, get Baylor. through it. Oh my goodness. No, that's hilarious. Uh, but one thing uh, 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 that we might not even fully appreciate would be the roles of many people uh, who aren't necessarily on the field playing, right? You can't throw the ball to a referee and a referee can score. You know, a referee's not going to run on you or, or catch an interception or sack the quarterback. You know, the referees have a role and uh, the referees play a role that serves both teams, if you will. Now you can get arguments from game to game if the refs are leaning toward one team or another but that's all speculative uh but the referees even have a role but um there's a particular group and i'm a like you would say dad let me grab my ear i'll turn the corner in a second you know uh but uh there's a particular group of folks who play a role in how we all enjoy the game of football that not all of us are completely aware of and I just want to spend a minute kind of pointing them out. It's the NFL Competition Committee. Uh, the NFL Competition Committee is a group of owners, general managers, coaches who all come together to help steer the process for modifying, amending, and adopting rules and regulations. Right. So from one game to the mm-hmm. next on the most foundational level, you're not going to play one game where you have 11 men, on one side of the field, 11 on the other side, right? Uh, And then the next game, all of a sudden, you get 12 on one side and 11 on the other side, or 13 on one side, or five or six. There are rules and regulations that are set in place that allow us to enjoy the game of football. Um, And also, there are rules and regulations that even make the game of football, again, uh, one that you have the opportunity to have some fairness and, and certain levels of equity And then also as a fan, certain levels of enjoyment, you know, uh, we have to understand that without this uh, NFL competition committee, 
you know, uh, players wouldn't be as safe as they are playing a game like football. You can't just go out and play football with no helmet and just say, because I'm tough. You know, I'm six foot nine. I'm, I'm 320 pounds. You know, listen, you could take a, a five, one, 115 pound person soaking wet. And if they crack you and you ain't got no helmet on, you know, good luck. You know, I don't right. care how tough and big you are. So even as it relates to equipment and safety, the NFL competition committee plays a very, very important role. And, you know, for the sports fans out there or football fans, we can get way in the weeds. Uh, but I just wanted to identify this group as a group of role players who have a very important uh, impact on the game of football and for any sport, you know, if you will. So with that sort of preface, I wanted to walk us into a conversation that we as believers, we as saints and Christians, um, I think we grapple with, which is role players, the role that people play in our life and in our journey. Let me just sort of frame out this question. Have we ever contemplated, have we ever really contemplated the role of people in our lives as designed by God? Let's, let's just walk through some of those questions for a moment. The role of people, role of the players in our lives. Why did God himself as a deity, as the ultimate supreme, unmatched God of the universe of all time, even need to pull out of himself and put Jesus in the flesh? Why did, if he felt the need to pull from himself and put Jesus in flesh, did Jesus need parents? How come Jesus didn't just come down from heaven as a full-grown deity or full-grown man? Why did he have to go through the baby stage? Why did it take a Mary? Why did Joseph have a role in his life, right? Just thinking about on the fundamental level, the role of people, human beings. Think about Adam and Eve. Adam, one of the, the, the most foundational, fundamental uh, uh, sort of tips of the hand that God gave us and is when he said and looked upon Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he pulled from Adam the better half and created Eve. Why the separation? If within Adam was both Adam and Eve, why did he separate and create distinct roles for each player, if you will? Why did Jesus need disciples? We're talking about God's begotten. Why did he need even 12 men uh, and of course, now uh, uh, we start to expand out of that core 12 and there were women disciples, as we know, and increased in important roles that women played as flat out full function, not lesser, but absolutely equally important in so many different ways. Why did Jesus need disciples mm -hmm. being God in the flesh? Mm -hmm. Why was Lucifer allowed to make the choices that he was allowed and still live. God could have destroyed Lucifer altogether, but we know the trajectory of his dissension being kicked out of heaven, descending upon the earth in the forms that he has. And even as we get into what the final uh, 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 war and battle culminates into, and, and we know what that victory and outcome is, Lucifer was still allowed to live in the form mm -hmm. of Satan. And even to this present day, he's allowed to exist and have space and a level of power and influence. Why? Right. If we think about the, the impact uh, even of the Sanhedrin, 
council. Mm. If we think about among the disciples, a Judas, why would there be a Judas allowed to be even among the disciples? Why would there be a Pontius Pilate who is given a clear role in the, uh, uh, in the events leading to the crucifixion? We could talk about Caiaphas. All of that being said, they're clearly in God's divine plan. There's clearly a significant and critical role for people or the players. And I would hypothesize that the better we all understand the role of people in our lives for or against us, and sometimes, and we'll get to this, there's a mix up between who's actually really for and who's actually really against us. Why these people are in those roles, the better we understand that, get a grasp of it, we can put our attention and our energy into the right things, understand God's plan, understand his path, and really be able to be more successful in navigating this life and walk with him. So that is my setup here for today's conversation about role players. Now, again, dealing with the Super Bowl today, I talked about the NFL competition committee. They impact playing rules, roster regulations. They influence the technology that's a part of the game. They influence game day operations, player protection, just a few examples of the role that this committee plays. So I'll keep coming back to them as we put a pin there that we're gonna come back to in this conversation. <laughs> we're gonna talk about the NFL competition committee because they play a very important role for how we enjoy the game. But now let me get to the first question for you all. You set Give us me up. an example. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. We set you up. Yeah, no. Uh, much better than the Dallas Cowboys have set <laughs> up, by the way. You know, I don't know what they're doing down there. And I don't know what kind of individuals would even be a Cowboys fan in this day and age. But, you know, give it all respect and honor to those that deserve respect and honor. Um, give me an example. All right, baby, I'm waiting for you. First person coming to mind. <laughs> give me an example each, if you would, of a key role player in your life. Not saying the most important, because we won't put you in a position to have to choose. But who's been a key role player in your life? Talking about a human being now. And don't do one another. I know the pressure on married couples is like, ah, my husband, my wife, outside but, of you two. Who's been a key role player? How about saying outside of us and outside of our parents? Again, outside of parents, yep, outside yeah. of kids. Name yeah. one key role player who's been there in your life and, and, and why. Why have they been a key role player? I, I, um, I brought this gentleman up in uh, one of our um, chapter plays. I don't remember what's, um, when it was. What, um, but anyway, I went back, and I think you heard me mention um, Floyd Shepard. And when I was in elementary school, um, and the uh, that'd be the um, early 60s. He was an art teacher. He was an uh, African-American art teacher. And um, he made, he, he said something to me that I'll never forget it. And now I can see that how God was being um, so instrumental in my life. And I didn't know that. I didn't know then what I know now. And which, um, he saw the leadership abilities in me. 
And, but he saw what I was doing with my abilities, that I was leading people the wrong way. And he said, and he, he, he actually chastised me one day because I just had the whole class just upside down. And he pulled me to the side. He said, um, you are wasting, uh, and in other words, you, you're, you're wasting your ability. Yes, sir. So you, he said, you are a leader. And everybody around you, you draw people like a magnet. And it said, you can uh, draw people and lead them in the wrong way, or you can lead them in the right way to do. He said, you need to straighten yourself up mm -hmm. because I was just acting up. And that has never left me. Uh, it wasn't about salvation, wasn't saved, but my art teacher saw the leadership ability that I had. And um, he was... Um, and he did, he, he started steering me in the right direction. Yes, Didn't know that later on in my life that I would meet his brother, wow. William Shepherd. And his brother saw the ability that I had and him and the uh, Terry, I remember Terry's last name, but um, no. I worked for the Central Iowa Regional Association of Local Governments. Mm -hmm. And I worked in the zoning department. They got together, you know, every day I would come in and, and was zoning, rezoning, zoning street maps or whatnot for the state, city of the state of Iowa. And when he called me into the office, the president, and they was going to send me to college with a full scholarship in drafting and blueprint reading. And um, I turned it down, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they saw the leadership that I had, didn't know. So these, that's, that was a two. That's powerful. That's absolutely powerful. I have actually three yeah, pick that one. Were, that's at the top, but the two are together. The two yeah, are together. One. I can't, let me see. You pulling the mama car, see? See, why do I even ask questions? I'm no. just going to throw my notes. No, don't throw your notes. Don't throw your notes. I, I love your notes. Well, the reason why I said two were together because they were my church mothers. Mm -hmm. And um, my church mother, Mother McGill, and she and my my grandmother, who became the church mother after um, she passed on. and um, But they lived together you know, in the same house, but it was like an apartment. And um, those two women taught me how to pray and fast. And they just, they were such a huge example. Even if I weren't going to be saved, they were just such a huge uh, example to me of perseverance in my life. And um, they were both widowed. Mother McGill didn't have children, but, and my grandmother did, obviously. But they just, um, really were an inspiration to me as a woman on how to really pers persevere, you know, when you're now on your own, so to speak, you know, because both of them's husband had, was deceased. And um, they, they really taught me how, and, and they would talk to me, they would just, they just took me under their wing. And I would always say, 
as I grow older, because I looked at them as older women, which they were, I just always used to say, as I grow older, I want to be like them because I never heard them complain. Mother McGill was on dialysis and I think she outlived what they said a woman her age could live with dialysis even, you know, they, she was just, she was an amazing woman, but she really taught me how to pray fast. But the two women together, I mean, I never heard them complain. I never heard them bash people in the church, you know, and they were just so key to me. And I always just said, man, when I get older, I want to be like them, you know, because their spirit, they were just so sweet. Now they can get you together, yeah. but it was that kind of, oh, wait a minute. Did she just get me together? Did she just tell me all thing, you know? So they were so sweet, you know? So I'll just stop right there. Absolutely. Because the reason why I said yeah. three is because the two were in the church and the one was not, you know? Certainly. And so many times we just want to lean church away, but yeah. No, that I think that's excellent. Um, I'll, I'll chime in and I'll also keep the momentum. Um, I'll speak of someone outside of the church and I think mm -hmm. sometimes that's really, really powerful because we don't always realize all of the people whom God has planted in our lives. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think our support networks have to be represented in a certain way, in a certain place. They have to come right. with a banner hanging above their head and, you know, certain insignia on their right. T-shirt. But there's all sorts of people who um, are salt in this earth that are scattered about. And we entertain them oftentimes unaware, you know, and I, and I think that's uh, an interesting sort of uh, subtopic there. But there was a, a gentleman, and I'll actually name him uh, professionally, who was really important to me and maybe had uh, one of the most indirect uh, impacts on my life. Um, his name was Arnold Woods. Uh, Mr. Arnold Woods was a financial aid director uh, at Grinnell College. Uh, uh, when I worked at Grinnell College, I worked in the admission office. I was an admission counselor. And of course, we were connected to uh, the financial aid office in some ways. And every now and then I would make my way over to Mr. Woods's office. And he was an older gentleman, uh, very, very veteran, very, very seasoned. He was the president of the NCAA uh, chapter uh, in Iowa and just had a storied legacy. And I would just make time to just sit and listen. I wouldn't always have a good reason to talk to him, but I'd figure out something to say to him just so I could just get wisdom out of him. And, you know, Mr. Woods, uh, and especially if he ever sees this, you know, old enough to be my grandfather. And um, still, you know, outside of having lunch with, with peers and contemporaries and just sitting with some of the younger folks, I would seek him out occasionally. And he said something to me that was really, really powerful. I was at a point in my career where I was getting ready to make some decisions uh, as a young professional trying to just grow and climb and be you know, prepared and ready for the next level. And the advice he gave me, I'll actually just say on camera because it was powerful. He told me, he said, you know what? You're so young and I was really extra young then. He said, you don't need to get caught up chasing money right now. He said, the thing you need to put your energy into is chasing valuable experience and responsibility and increased responsibility. And he said, even at some point, it makes sense to chase titles to a degree, you know? He said, but don't chase money. He said, right now, that's, that's not what it should be about for you. And he's like, I get it. You got student loan and, you know, you're, you're a young professional, you're getting started on your own and just trying to get settled as an adult in society. He said, but 
the kind of money, you know, that you'll get thrown at you right now is nothing compared to what you could position yourself for in the long uh, run with your career. And it was powerful for me uh, to, to get that kind of advice from him and for him not to be somebody that I reported to. We didn't work in the same department. We didn't necessarily have, you know, a ton of interaction that was intentional. It was always us making our way uh, out of our way, if you will, going out of our way to connect with one another. And he was really positive. But out of all the people that I encounter in those early stages of my career, it wasn't just uh, him as an individual and the example and the character and dignity that he held himself up with, but it was also morsels of advice that he knew how to deliver and he knew how to deliver in a way that you could embrace it. You know, it wasn't mean and surly and harsh. It was pointed and it was straightforward, but it was seasoned well. And, and now we get back into the word, you know, especially when we're talking about seasoning our words. He would he knew how to season his words that made you want to digest it and think about it further. So, you know, uh, he's a particular person out of, you know, my Mount Rushmore. I don't know that he would even think that we did enough together for him to even be considered. But that one piece of advice has been absolutely powerful for me. And he was right. And it became true in multiple folds over. It became true. So. He was a person. One of the reasons uh, why I asked that is oftentimes uh, key role players, uh, they represent themselves in a, an extremely forward, invisible way in our lives. But I want to follow up with the second question and ask you uh, who has been a key role player in your life. And again, give me an example of a person who has been a person who worked on your behalf, uh, however you want to interpret that behind the scenes, not necessarily like the forward mentor figure, if you will, but who has been a person that has done something for you, maybe even to you behind the scenes that has been impactful in your life? I would, um, I would say the, um, the, actually the um, first, um, assistant presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ, Bishop Macklin, before he were in the position he is now, he was the international um, Sunday school president. Mm -hmm. and I was a jurisdictional um, Sunday school president of the jurisdiction of Iowa. And he's over the national. So when I started going to the international church and was representing Iowa in the national church. Um, I met him and um, something that something had happened and there was something um, that um, I would say blocked the channels of um, progression in a certain area. And I was in one of the meetings with all of these other national uh, superintendents. And I was able to speak and fix the problem. And that must have got, that's how it got his attention. And so he brought me on to his staff in the International Church Department on his staff. And from that time on, um, he gave me some assignments, direct assignments for me to handle certain things logistically for the International Church. And I got them taken care of. And so he, he was just, I won't say amazed, but he was intrigued 
with the type of leadership ability and and I think I always call them movers and shakers, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the type of person he is. And so um, from that time on, he would always been working on, you know, some things um, on behalf of and setting up. And actually, he was the one that got me on a broader level and introduced me to more people on the international level. So I would say that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I had a um, instructor, my composition class in college, and um, she was an African-American woman. Um, actually, she was from Martha's Vineyard, and I, I could not believe, yeah. you know, she was in Iowa, of all places. And um, as much as I loved school, that was the first time I'd ever had a Black female teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, I have always, I've always written. I used to write poems and everything when I was a little girl. And I just would write them and keep them to myself. And I, I've always loved to write. But that was something that, you know, I just kept to myself. I never said anything about it. Never shared my writings or anything. And um, I was in her class my first quarter. And um, actually, I had her for three consecutive. I had her for composition one, two, and three. And she, um, we had to write uh, something. I can't even remember what it was the first, uh, in the first class. And she came to me. And of course, I was the only Black female in the class then. And um, she started talking to me about my writing. And she said, has anybody ever talked to you about writing? And I said, no, it's just something that I always had a passion and love to do. And um, she said, you're a very good writer. And I was, I was always never sure if my writing was, you know, uh, grammatically, grammatically correct or if the punctuation was correct. Because I never, again, I just kept it to myself. However, I got good grades in English, but, you know, I just never, I was always concerned about that. I always wanted everything to be right. And I just asked her, I said, well, will you um, just correct my papers and tell me, you know, how punctuation and and all of those things work and the different, I wanted to get into writing different poetry. And she sat down and took the time with me for the two years that I was there and she would always go over my papers and go over my writing and just, she just gave me the confidence I really needed to write. And so then, you know, later in life when I became the YWCC president, um, the, the international president asked me and I never said anything to her. And she asked me, she just came up to me and asked me, did I write? And I said, yes. And she said, yeah, I, I, it seems like you write. I was listening to you talk. And she asked me if I would write for the international book and um, study guide. And I did and sent it to her. And it just kind of launched a relationship between the two of us. And she wanted me to write for the paper. She wanted me to prove the handbook. Um, and it just went on and on. So she really became... Um, a behind the scene, if you will, because she just really pushed something that I just kind of buried, even though I loved it, that I had just kind of buried and kept to myself. So I would say, and, and that teacher's name, her name was Arinda Maxwell. Um, she was very, she's a very powerful, very astute, very uh, 
she and her husband, they were really, um, they, they were kind of like a quiet force in the um, educational world. Her husband taught music at Drake University. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the reasons why I asked that, that question, you both gave excellent responses, especially, you know, as it relates to life. And I'm gonna avoid answering just so we can continue to move forward. Um, but um, sometimes we look at, you know, some of the visible things, the top side things, and we call that support <laughs> and we call that impactful. But even with the Super Bowl that we're going to watch a little later, you know, you're going to there's going to be things that catch your attention in the game and, and it catches everybody's attention. It's the big play. It's the long pass. It's the long road run. Uh, it's the it's the crazy moves that you know, uh, the receiver or the running back or the quarterback makes, you know, that make people miss tackles or the strength they use to break through a tackle. You know, those are the things that are easy to see, right, about the game. It's the big hit on the defense, somebody that just sacks the quarterback, that makes a big block, that stops a run, that intercepts the ball with a high jump or they read the play right and, you know, they hit the right spot and, and they know where the ball is going, they catch it, they run the other way and score. All those things are the big plays. And it's so easy to cheer and celebrate the big plays. But the interesting thing about God is he sets up so many moves. The, the, the steps for a good man are ordered uh, by the Lord. There are so many different little moves that when you really look at some of the technical pieces that God has set up in your life, it becomes interesting. You know, And it becomes interesting because it's not just uh, uh, being supported in the forward and the obvious ways. It's often the behind the scenes and the fundamental things, the challenges, the yeah. struggle, the opposition, you know, that we face that absolutely pushes us forward. It's when David is secretly fighting the, the, the wolves off and the bears off and the lions off of the sheep. It's the moments that people don't see back there that prepares right. David to uh, face a Goliath and prepares David, you know, to have uh, some of the triumphs that we see on the top side of his life. And we have to be really, really careful to understand that God has really put people in role players, not just to be there to celebrate us on the mountaintop or to hand us the trophy or the award or to recognize the obvious in our life, but it's the people who can challenge us, who can push us, instill the confidence and nurture us when there isn't the successes that are visible, when it isn't the potential you know, that can easily be seen when we haven't become who we are because how easy is it to celebrate what you see but how yeah. difficult is it to nurture what you don't see you right. know so there's some role players on our life like the linemen that we will see playing in the in the game we may see the big run or the big pass and catch but we may not see the block that opens up the hole right. running to run through we may not see uh someone who recognizes that the play has been broken in other words, the deep, the play that's been set up by the offense, the defense has read it and they're coming for the offense to break that up. And somebody kind of steps out of what they were asked to do to preserve the integrity of the play, right? So that play can be successful and that runner can be open or that receiver can get to their spot. So it's so many different things that are behind the scenes that I think God has called us to pay attention to. And especially for young people or, or any person for that moment, we have to be careful not to despise the day of small beginnings and not mm -hmm. just look for, okay, 
I'm here now, you know, okay, I see it now. Okay, it's clear to me the path and I'm gonna walk the path. We have to be careful not only to recognize those moments and appreciate the people who recognize, uh, recognize it in us, but also to be able to be that for somebody else and not just celebrate the kid, you know, that has straight A's in schools, uh, but find the opportunity to encourage the kid that might be struggling or may not show an interest in school not just to celebrate the artist who's won a competition, but to be able to encourage somebody who hasn't developed that skill yet and the raw talent may not be obvious. And those are key roles that I think are extremely uh, important. Um, I wanna shift to another question here um, when it comes to key role players in our life. As I started the preface of this particular topic, I talked about, I gave a list of questions, why did Jesus have disciples? Why did God need to pull up himself and be born in flesh? Why did he not just send Jesus as a fully equipped grown man, but to start at the baby stage? Why is there a Lucifer and a Judas allowed? Why is there a Pontius Pilate who's given a degree of power or this, uh, the Sadducees or the Sanhedrin court or Caiaphas? Why? Let's come to the question, why? Why do we need people? Because I know we always say, as long as I got King Jesus, you know, I don't need nobody else. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I understand the right. premise, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not attacking the song, but clearly in many different examples, God shows you that you need people. He showed Adam and absolutely clearly said, it's not good for man to be alone. He showed right. that you can't just hide on the backside of the wilderness, but there's a Jethro that I need to help you get your business mind together. You could be anointed and spiritual and have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. But here's Jethro to teach you business. He showed that to Daniel and the Hebrew boys and put them in college at Egypt University, MBA business school, right? But, okay, I quit. Uh, so so uh, why do we really need people, Dad? Listen, God has... A master plan, with it, right? God, God has a master plan, and when you look at those behind the scenes, I'm looking at the Godhead <laughs> behind the scenes. I'm looking at the opponent. I'm looking at the opponent that has been trying to take down um, God's people um, from the beginning, and um, with all of his disruptive patterns. And so so people don't really realize um, what God has done. I saw, well, I would say, in the um, in the boardroom of heaven. Uh oh. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and so when I say we we are engaged in a um, in a um, combative warfare. I don't want to use a game, um, but Satan has a team. And God has a team. Now, so um, God has been working behind the scenes on behalf of us so tremendously that we really forget all what God has done. God had designed a playbook that is second to none. Mm -hmm. Satan has a playbook. Mm 
And so to let Satan know who is number one, um, the battle is between God and Satan. And we're the middleman. We are the man in the middle. And so God is every, the opponent, which is the adversary, which is the enemy. And God has laid out in his playbook everything to win this Super Bowl, heaven's Super Bowl. Yeah. And God has, because God has placed people, we are interconnected with each other. And we really don't realize it. So it, are the connections that we have to one another as is, as important as what we think to be divine predestination? It's very important because remember, Jesus died for people. Yeah. When we talk about, I don't, I don't want to be bothered with people and I'm tired of people, put brakes on that one. That's what Jesus came for. Yes, sir. God so loved the world. He loved people. Christ died for people. So we are connected. All souls are mine. We, we are connected with the ugly and the good. Mm -hmm. We're all connected. Yes, sir. And we will be connected until Christ comes and raptures his church. And we really don't realize it. So I hear you saying... People have always been the middle of it in the first place. We've always been the center of God's attention. So therefore, people will always be in the middle of God's strategy for our Man life. is the nucleus. Yeah. Humankind yeah. is the nucleus of God's plan. Yeah. Okay. Always been. Okay. But we really don't really. Listen, hold on. Uh-oh. I caught that. Let yeah. me pass. There you go. <laughs> no, that was the lateral, but that's that's how it is. Yeah. Well, say what you want to lateral pass. I handed it off too. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think um yeah, and we need one another because God said, Adam didn't say, God said when he looked at Adam that it's not good for man to be alone. Right. Mm -hmm. So he knew that because Adam, remember, he had dominion over everything. Yeah. So what more did he need? But God said it was not good for Adam to be alone. Why? Because he knew there had to be something that Adam could connect with that was like him. Everything else had a mate. Everything else had um, something that was like whatever it was. And Adam was the only one who did not. So even God was, he was a spirit, but man was in, I mean, Adam was in man in human form. So God looked down and saw that he knew he needed, he needed that part of him fed. Yeah. So that's the reason why he created woman. He needed and another so soul. He, right. he needed another soul. Mm -hmm. And he, he would not thrive. He, there was no way he could thrive um, by himself without another human being. So we we do, we need that. Um. No, no, don't stop. I just I just took a deep breath. Don't stop because oh. I, I had a, I had a plan. 
I just, just got another I, question. I, I just, but I got I another question though, Dad. <laughs> but I got another question, Dad. Just, I just let, let me so get, you, there. Let me get there. I was, I was enjoying what you were saying. <laughs> We can move on to the next question. <laughs> uh, so help me uh, really dive into a understanding of the opponent piece of all of this. Mm -hmm. Because I think we spent a lot of time, and we did a couple episodes ago, uh, delve into the concept of enemies, right? And, right. and you know, especially, you know, uh, and we always act like we have no level of influence from the secular world that rubs off on us. But, you know, about 15, maybe 15, 17 years ago, someone really coined uh, the slang and term hater, you know, and it's been a part of our vernacular and conversation and thinking, uh, you know, since then. So, you know, that's something that especially came from the world that we've been fixated on, you know, since then a million sermons have been preached on the topic of haters. But with all that being said and done, moving away from just this, this nebulous orbiting concept of haters in our life, let's let's think about opponents for a second. Let's just couch in the spirit of the Super Bowl Sunday, uh, uh, a focal moment on the concept of an opponent. Um, what truly is an opponent? I'm not talking about enemy. I'm not talking about haters. I'm talking about opponents, when, especially that's personified when we're talking about people. What really is an opponent what is their role who are they to us help us understand a little bit just focusing on how we define and identify and understand the purpose of a person who is an opponent what is an opponent who is an opponent and what's their purpose um, an opponent. Go ahead. There you go. There you go. Go ahead. An, an opponent. When, when you think of opponent, it's it's opposing. And again, a lot of times we we um, saddle things with the concept of what the majority is, but opposing doesn't necessarily mean it's negative. It's just something that's opposite of what you think or what you do opposite of your way so that's the opposing because even when you look on the look at the opponent even as it comes to teams you know um the opposing team is always studying the team that they're you know going against mm -hmm. they're studying them right. and they're not necessarily studying them because um uh, for the bad, but they're studying them because they want to know how to play them. Mm -hmm. They're studying them That's because powerful. they, yeah, how, how to play them. Right. They're studying them sometimes to pick up something good from them even. You know, what makes them the winner? What makes their defense so strong? What makes their offense so strong? So, you know, the opposing team is not necessarily your enemy. You can gain some great ground from it. First lady, that, this, that, 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 that was, um, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to steal your thunder from you. That was beautiful. But one thing, if I can add something to what you said, mm -hmm. two parts of that. At the end of the game, opponents congratulate each other. Yeah. But then at the beginning of the game, the opponent 
it gives to the opposite. Mm -hmm. It really makes us better. Mm -hmm. When you are against an opponent, it really brings out the best in you. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you have until you go up against an opponent. And it really brings the best out of you. So believe it or not, um, Satan, his attacks from him has brought the best out of us that God has placed in us. That's why if you go back to the book of Job, Job 2 and 4, Satan really studies man and he's always studied man and Satan tells God listen here the only reason why that Job is serving you you got a head Jeronimo but take it off and you'll curse it to your face because yeah. I know skin for skin a man would do anything to save his own self and God said I tell you what do what you want to do but you will find that my people when you attack them the best comes out Absolutely. when Job was attacked the Bible declared that Job did not lose his integrity. Yes. If it had not been for the opponent. Mm -hmm. Dad, you, you said something. You said something super powerful. With I said a lot that was super powerful, but you said give me all the credit for it. But go ahead and use that one. That's all right. <laughs> that's that's all right. We're opponents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but you know what? Here here becomes a really interesting conundrum. And, and mom served this pathway up so beautifully. I got really excited. Yeah. And dad, you certainly um, um, continue to run this thing in, in this direction that I really think is powerful for, for me. I ain't going to say anybody else, but for me. And this just happened to be recorded and broadcast. But <laughs> the route to championship or success or victory is demonstrating that you've conquered your opponent, yeah. right? Even right. with the Super Bowl today. If at the end of this game, the score is seven to three and the Chiefs, my AFC brothers, if the Chiefs have seven Not Cowboys. Nah, nah. Okay. Who would no, nah, never mind. I'm teasing. Uh so <laughs> if the Chiefs have seven and the Buccaneers have three, the Chiefs win. If the Chiefs have 21 and the Buccaneers have 14. The Chiefs won, right? Mm -hmm. The victory isn't in the score in football, in this example. It's in conquering the opponent as it has been defined. And for mm -hmm. other sports, they define the terms of your opponent and achieving victory. But the concept that you all unlocked and really put in front of us today is the opponent becomes the gateway to the victory. Yes. And when you make your foundation yes. on the person, then you've lost sight of victory. My whole point isn't to injure the Buccaneers team. My point is to overcome them as opposition in route to the victory. The game isn't over when you injure the right. team. The game isn't over because you took handcuffs on the field and you cuffed them all to one another. Or you took a water hose and you got <laughs> snowballs and, you know, that's not when the game is over. The game is over when you have triumphed over the opponent, which means your focus actually right. is the opponent. It's what's on the other side of the opponent. I just have to go through this to get to right. what I want. I just have to go through this right. to get to the championship. And I think a lot of times we get so fixated on making people our enemy 
we should go back to that episode that episode that we had don't make your enemy your enemy right that right right so we're so focused on the people that we forget that the goal is the championship and the triumph and right. at the moment, a person might simply be, like you said, what brings the best out of you. If you mm -hmm. want to be a champion, you got to beat the champion. But my right. point is that if I see you in the grocery store parking lot, I'm going to hit you with my car, you know? And that's why we can crack congratulate our opponents at the end of the competition. Right. Because it never was about hurting you. It never right. was about wishing anything against you. It was always about getting to the victory of what's on the other side right. has been my goal in the first place. So those opponents become absolutely important and critical. And sometimes, especially if you think about Michael Jordan in the 90s and, and the bad boy Detroit Pistons, and I know we're talking about football today, but, you know, sometimes it takes an opponent to show you where you need to put the work in at, right? <laughs> sometimes it takes an opponent, you know, and I'll use the Denver Broncos against the New England Patriots, you know, and Tom oh. Brady back then. Oh. You know, we, we, we could go there, but... <laughs> Sometimes it takes that opponent to show you how to fine-tune your skills, what abilities you right. have, how you need to right. change the way that you prepare, or maybe how you change your outlook. Because the way that we play football now doesn't necessarily match the Jim Brown days. The game has evolved. Yeah. There's different techniques and strategy. People use different ways that they prepare themselves as athletes. And we have to evolve. And some of that evolution comes from learning from your opponent. So I appreciate you all sort of underscoring that. And let me get to my, my uh, final question. I know we have 10 minutes, uh, 11 minutes left because we were delayed getting started here. But um, understanding, again, the, the concept today, the theme for the conversation is role players. And we talked about defining what an opponent is. Um, let's also talk about, you know, uh, uh, um, adversity because... I think just as much as we speak about opponents and sometimes we try to paint this picture that opponents are only adversity, I think we have to think about adversity uh, in the terms of people as well. So for example, the Kansas City Chiefs have a person that's uh, responsible for their strength and their conditioning, making sure that they're in shape and making sure that they can perform at the level that they're supposed to, to accomplish their goal. Mm -hmm. When you are running, when you are lifting, when you are exercising, I'm pretty sure you don't feel good about the person who's pushing you. And there's a difference between you looking at that person and saying, you're asking me to do something that's uncomfortable and something that might even be painful. And you are my opponent. There's a difference between that. Because not all times that we are asked or facing things that make us uncomfortable or painful, not all times is that personal. And it's about our detriment and it's about our hurt more than it's right. about getting us to the place that we need to be so we can achieve the things that we are looking to achieve. So let's talk about adversity and people. How do people play roles in our adversity and then how do we understand whether this is to help us or hurt us? I'm gonna leave it just sort of open like that. I use the football strength and conditioning analogy, but let's bring this to our personal lives as it relates to adversity and people. And the question is how do we discern when people in the adversity are helping us 
or when those people are actually in opposition uh, and actually hurting us, if you will. Well, I think that, um, again, adversity, See, I think that Matthew and Jesus says, uh, we must, offenses must come. Oh, yeah, it needs to it be. It needs to be, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know, and I think you pulled it out good as, you didn't say the word conditioning, but in conditioning, uh, uh, people will make you um, learn how, and we're talking about conditioning, your skills, your personality, mm-hmm. your uh, how to get through situations, they will, they will cause you to, um, you know, back up and say, wait a minute, I didn't handle this situation well. Next time, how can I handle it? It's like working on a yeah. job. You know, we had some people on our job that it's like, I can't stand to work with this person. They made it horrible for me to work with them. Yeah. You know, just keeping it real. They, they made it horrible. When I when I see them, you know, my day is like, oh boy, I know they're going to come with the drama or with, with something that's going to make my job difficult. How? Because I have to work on this job and I have to accomplish what I'm supposed to do on my job. How do I get through this? Because this person isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So how do I get through? So they, it, it causes you to look at yourself and to see again how how better can you wow be to get through because it, you know every situation every adverse thing every adverse person every adverse situation you can't just move out of your life yeah you have to learn how to get through some things and get over some things so i think you know adverse situations adverse people it helps to condition us to, to, to get better, you know, to learn how to get through to the next situation. Because again, Jesus said, it must be that, why, why, why? You know, like I said, why? Because it's part of our conditioning too, personality-wise. It's part of our conditioning spiritually, you know. Um, we have to be conditioned because again, the scripture also tells us that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, how are you going to be a witness if you continually fail the, wow. the test? Wow. Wow. And, and, and parents with children. A um, lot of children look at their parents and, and they've said, man, my parents were so hard on me. They were really so hard on me. But the whole, the job was to prepare them for life. Yeah. And preparing somebody. Conditioning them. Conditioning them. them. For the unknown is really a task and feat by itself. Mm -hmm. And even though you have put all that you can into your children, you still haven't covered a lot of things that they may go through. Yeah. yeah. You just scratched the surface. Yeah. Because nobody, like God, God did not send his son into this world mm-hmm. for us to be failures. Right. Yes, that's powerful. It don't happen like that. Parents do not raise their children 
to fail. Now, failure comes not because you want it, but failure comes in increments. But mm -hmm. there's strengths that comes from failures. Mm -hmm. But parents teach their children on how to accept when they fail. Right. Yep. And respond to it. We're yeah. not born to fail. Or we teach them how to persevere. Right. Yeah. Through all of these. Right. I think the scripture says dangers seen and unseen dangers. Yeah. Who? One person goes and says, I'm going to try for the Kansas City Chiefs because we're going to lose every year. Right. Right. Yeah. Who sits and says, I'm going to um, try out uh, for, uh, I remember, case and point. <laughs> One time when you was younger and you came home and expressed to your mother and your father, Wow, that you were going to hurdle, be a hurdler. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, first of all, I'm, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not athletic, but I'm saying most hurdlers have longer legs. Yeah. And yeah. I said, I physically, <laughs> I could not picture you as being a hurdler. So one day I visited one of your track meets. Mm -hmm. And I came and I was really, my mind, you blew my mind. And I'm still today, I'm saying, how did he do this? <laughs> because I came back and told your mother, I said, listen. Because his mama told him he can do it. I said, that boy of yours, he, he could, he could. That, that boy could, he could. Terrible. I said, but he has an awkward form. Mm -hmm. I've never seen it was raw talent hurdler. back then. It was raw talent. It took a little while to respond. <laughs> raw talent, raw talent. I've never seen a hurdler with that type of form. I told you that, and I said he 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 lets he he lays but low. Okay, we we got the job. Job. Well, he got the job. But I my attorney's watching. All right, okay. This is slander. My attorney's I'm watching. Typical mother. So anyway, yeah. but, you know, but, but you all hit something so powerful. Because, and again, I want to make sure it's delivered in, in, in an actionable uh, format. When you take a step back and you really assess what you're going through and you yeah. really get away from just the emotional reaction, and I'm not saying you won't be emotional and won't have an emotional reaction. We're people, we're meant to feel, you know, and as opposed to thinking we're supposed to be emo emotionless, maybe we need to lean into the emotion. So we can understand it better and not be so rattled when emotions raise and mm -hmm. represent themselves, right? But when we really look at it, the Kansas City Chiefs may say, man, our strength and conditioning coaches are terrible. I told them my arm hurt and they made me lift anyway. You know, mm -hmm. I started throwing up running, you know, the four mile workout, conditioning workout, and they made mm -hmm. me keep going. But at mm -hmm. the end of the day, if you sit back and you go home, you say, well, actually, the whole point isn't that this person is putting on a different jersey and a helmet and they're, they're on the other side of the field from me. They're on my team. And what they are doing may not feel good, but at, mm -hmm. least, right. at least it's moving me forward. It's not an attack on my character. 
it's not sabotaging me, you know. And sometimes when we're in situations, we don't clearly see opposition and adversity in people. Right. We confuse adversity with opposition. And like you said, even with parenting, if my parent is saying, if you're not disciplined in doing your homework when I'm a child, then if I don't do my homework and my grades come out low, then now all of a sudden I can reflect back on the experience and say, wow, well, the opposition wasn't the parent. The adversity was they continued to challenge me to prioritize my time. And right. if I didn't have the ability to make that judgment on my own, then they made the decision for me and say, since you can't choose and how to balance and prioritize your time, I'm going to choose for you because I'm your parent until you demonstrate to me that you can make this a habit and make good choices for yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think those are things that as adults, if we continue to go back to, we can understand people in the role that they have in our lives. Cause we talked about role players today and the role for all adversity is not necessarily opposition. And the role for opposition isn't necessarily an enemy relationship. It's just because we are trying to overcome and achieve and obtain the goals that we have. Right. So in so many different ways, you know, uh, you all have challenged us to really kind of take a step back and look at people in our lives and say, what is the role? If you're cheering me on and I'm in last place and you're like, Quentin, don't run faster. You know, Quentin, don't hustle back on defense. Quentin, don't take smarter open shots. Quentin, don't be more aggressive and we're losing. Then I actually think you're opposition at this point because right, you are the opposition, situation right. and your right. encouragement is holding me back instead of holding me accountable and to do the right things. And then vice versa. If a person is saying, and mom made the example, um, you have grammar and punctuation errors in your writing. Your writing is clear. I don't know what point you're trying to get to. Can you say it quicker? Can you be more thorough? Can you provide examples and detail and support? That person is helping you to make better writing as opposed to a person who's trying to sabotage and make your writing worse. So, and all of those things, even today on a Super Bowl Sunday, I think it's powerful for us to not only be able to appreciate the competition, appreciate all the moments that we didn't see and the moments that we saw that led up to the composition, but or competition, excuse me, but then also to appreciate the competition, knowing that even in our lives, there are advocates, there are supporters, there are people who are working behind the scenes, there are people who are making decisions and sacrifices to put us in position and it may not be obvious. There are mm -hmm. moments where we feel like giving up and they're painful and they're uncomfortable, but it's right. helping us to actually be conditioned and in the place and the condition that God needs us to be in to accomplish what we said is our own goal. And by understanding that God has put purpose behind the people in our lives. And the more we spend time to understand that, the more we understand ourselves and the more we can make better use out of our time and really live up to the potential. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think yes. that's we're headed today. So, you know, I appreciate you all for being a part of this competition, uh, this conversation, competition. competition. I'm all stuck competition. Right, right. But I appreciate you all being a part of this conversation. I've enjoyed it personally. And I hope that this has been impactful for our audience as well. So at this point, mom, we turn it back uh, to you two uh, to close us out and send us on. <laughs> well, again, we enjoyed um, and we hope that and pray that you uh, got something fruitful out of this conversation today. And we enjoyed being with you on the Super Bowl Sunday 2021. 
And um, don't forget to, to like and share. Like and share. Leave a comment so we know that you are Leave there. Leave a comment so we know you're there. <laughs> there it is. And what about the bell? Ding it. <laughs> Ring it. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, well, I don't know. Maybe by the end of all of this, whatever the end is, you'll get it about the bell. Yeah. But I can't wait to dive into my food. I'm going to go warm it up and eat it. But, um, you know, thanks for um, taking this time to share with us today. And thank you, Quentin, again. Great job. For uh, spending this time with us. And we always enjoy chatting with the Clays. Absolutely. You all take care. Yeah. And I'll call you after this. Let's go, Chiefs. Right. AFC. Let's go, go Chiefs. Buccaneers. Buccaneers. <laughs> Buccaneers. Buccaneers. Unbelievable. Tom Brady. <laughs> Come on, Mom. Oh. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's all right. He's learned how to persevere. You know what he's learned how to do? I'm not even going to say that on camera. I ain't even going <laughs> to. Oh my goodness. No, no.